Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we will hear from guest speaker, Pastor Sean Silvetti, on Intentional Apprenticeship. Now here is Pastor Sean. Thank you, Pastor Bill, Pastor, Pastor Joy. <laughs> uh, one of the crazy things um, about that night, so our speaker is a, um, uh, and how many of you have heard of Speed the Light? You've heard of Speed the Light, which is the missions wing for students, BGMC for, for children. He's a Speed the Light evangelist, basically. I mean, he's more than that. But it was a speed light um, emphasis night that he did an altar call, and over 120 kids came down. And so you just see the hunger, hunger in the now generation. So how's everyone doing? We doing good? Good, good. I, uh, I just want to say I love, I love this church. I love this church. I, um, some of you may know this name, uh, Pastor Caleb Bryant and I go way back, yeah. He and I are good buddies. We try to, try to have a FaceTime bro time every month. And so it's, it's, uh, this is, a, this is a, home, a home away from home for, for us as well. My family will be here a little later, but um, we love you guys. We love this church and it's an honor to be here. We love your pastors. We love your staff. We love your team. I'm gonna give a shout out to Tyler Bernheisel because I love that guy, okay? I just love that homie, love the tech. So you just need to know that the Silveri, as we say, Team Silveri loves Team PCC, okay? To be a beacon of hope and light in this city that desperately need, needs one, desperately needs one. So it's always an honor to open up the Holy Scriptures and to teach. So thank you uh, for those who are streaming in online as well, for those who have allowed us to invade your space, wherever you might be streaming. Uh, this is sacred space. This is sacred space, and it is an honor to occupy it uh, here with you. It's an honor to work with Pastor Bill, Pastor Joy. Uh, we love them uh, deeply and dearly, always have. We've been in the network, well, I've been in the network for over 10 years, 10 and a half years uh, here in Oregon, and uh, it's just a great place to be. Uh, the Assemblies of God in Oregon is a great place place to be. So um, I'm honored to, to be here. I honor you. I honor you, Pastor Bill, Pastor Joy, and um, I'm grateful for you guys and this church as well. I do have a picture of my family. Um, I have three very energetic children. Yes, this is uh, Easter, so it's a little old. We just got new pictures uh, a couple weeks ago, so I'll be taking the new pictures somewhere. So Micah is the oldest. He's six. Uh, on the picture on the left, he's the middle. Then Canaan, who has no desire to look at the camera, is three and uh, still has no desire to this day. Uh, then Kinsley just turned one. Kinsley just turned one. And she is perfect. And I bought a shotgun uh, once she was born. So <laughs> that's, I don't know if that's uh, politically correct. But anyway, that's, that's what happened. So those are my, that's my family. Those are my children. And uh, they are uh, amazing. And I'm honored as well to be their dad and husband. So if you have a Bible, whether it's physical or if it's a digital Bible, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 
2. Now, as you migrate to Judges chapter 2, you search for it. The setting that we find ourselves in right here in Judges 2 is an interesting one in that for the first time, the Hebrew people begin to establish themselves as a nation. Okay, remember, they were under the human rule of the pharaohs and the nation of Egypt for 430 years or so. A long time. Now, let's put this in context. America isn't even 250 years old yet. Okay? That's a long time. Okay? Uh, then they wander. They get, they're freed from, from uh, captivity or they're freed from uh, Egypt. They wander in the Sinai Desert. Okay, then the conquest of the promised land begins. Moses is told he will not enter in that, into that conquest. And the Moses dies in the middle of it or right at the beginning of it. And it seems, and so, and so then they conquer the land and the people seem to be settling in and they can breathe a little bit. They settle in that land and there's a sense of security that takes place there. And this is where we find ourselves in Judges chapter 2. There is a question, I think, in uh, at your outline, if you have an outline, uh, there's a question that I challenge you to wrestle with this week. But Judges chapter 2, verse 6 is where we pick up the story. Verse 6 through 12, this is what it says. When Joshua dismissed the people and the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. So Joshua takes over for the Moses, and they take possession of the land, then they begin to settle. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnaharis, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Jesus, in this sacred moment, stirs something deep within us. Disturb us in the most beautiful, healthy of ways. It's in your name I pray it. I will never forget November 2013. November 2013. My wife and I were with a team of eager international travelers in the greatest American airport, PDX. Yes. Come on. <laughs> we were on our way to the Dominican Republic. Actually, Pastor Chip's daughter was with us too, by the way. When my wife received a phone call from one of our high school seniors, that would change the trajectory of our ministry and mark our hearts forever. Uncontrollably on the other line, one of our students who we call our kids, all of our students came in our youth ministry, our kids, 
was finally able to get out the words to my wife, Ashley. She's gone. Triz is gone. She didn't come to school today and was found in her backyard. A stellar athlete, popular, smart, 4.0 student, kind, generous, servant, saved in our youth ministry out of a really difficult home, an unwavering love for Jesus and her youth group. One of our kids had taken her life. And in two hours, we were boarding a plane to go serve some of the poorest of the poor. I have a great dad. Some of you have met my dad. But my first phone call was to a man named Steve. Moments like this one significantly marked our journey together. The calm, collected, reassuring wisdom from this man as we navigated this night nightmare come true. He said to me, Sean, after we downloaded a little bit on some things, you and Ashley are not getting on a plane tonight. I called Pastor Chip Loop and came and picked us up an hour and a half later. We read the book of Judges and can only shake our heads. At least that's me. I just shake my head over and over and over. We read through it and the nightmare that Israel is about to create for herself. If you've read Judges, the, this is not built into the narrative of Judges chapter two specifically. Somewhat is it's left for us to kind of fill in the blanks. But I wonder where is Joshua's one? Uh, Moses, apprentices, disciples, okay, not just Moses, but his generation, they pour into, they mentor Joshua and his generation, but we are left guessing as to who Joshua and those who were faithful poured into. Did this generation have anyone who would answer the phone call when things got tough? no matter the situation or circumstance? Did they have anyone to, to, to lean on, to walk with, that would choose to walk with them? My speculation is part of the reason a generation arose who did not know Creator God and abandoned Him is because there was a failure to guide, direct, and disciple that generation. And you know what? The nation of Israel's story is ours as well right. in America. Right. We are at the front lines in culture to tell the story. Us who are, uh, who are here and in church who say, yes, I follow Jesus. Those of you who are streaming online who are, yes, Jesus followers. He is my king, my author, and my authority. We are at the front lines at the precipice to tell the story and walk with the younger generations, to help them remember the goodness of God, who he is, 
what he has done in the past and what he wants to do in and through their lives and around their lives right now, not in 15 years, right now. We need to help them remember because we tend to forget. We tend to forget. Listen, one of the greatest ministry struggles and tensions of our day and in the future is and will be to intentionally reproduce followers of Jesus. It's not to combat some political party. It's not to push back against some social movement. It is to reproduce followers. This is simple. This is simple, but it's difficult and it's messy and it's time consuming. (laughs) There's a tall order before us because we have to shift our mentality. We have to shift our hearts from merely crowd-based, event-based structure and church, uh, from numbers games and come and see from sages to guides. And we have to be open to church, not looking like it has been in the past. If we want to disciple and walk with the young. We are charged. We are charged. At the same time, we have to recapture our prophetic voice and culture. So this is difficult. It's complex, but it's simple at the same time. Now we are charged, similar to the New Testament followers, to consistently steer people towards a rich understanding of the gospel, of the good news. Regardless of politics and government, regardless of restrictions and cultural upheaval and resistance that is inevitable that comes with preaching the gospel, our mission is clear as followers of Jesus. So how do we turn the ship? Thank you, Sean, for making me so depressed. How do we turn the ship? What do we do? Okay, yeah. We'll get there. We'll get there. What does it look like to avoid it being said of us? And there arose another generation who did not know the Lord. I offer you some first steps to intentional apprenticeship or toward intentional apprenticeship. The first is this. Who is your one? We must ask this question. Who is your one? It was winter of 2003 and I was a 19 year old college student. When I say it was winter, it was winter in the Midwest. Okay. It was cold. And I had to walk to the calf, which is not fun. I would sit down as I walked into the calf with one of my professors for the first time. His name was Steve Pulis. Steve Pulis. I think I have a picture of him. Now, this is old now. Uh, Well, it's a year old. Anyway, um, I had no clue what it meant to be discipled or apprenticed. I grew up in the church, y'all. I had no clue what it looked like to journey with someone who has gone a little ahead of myself. All I knew is that I was hungry to learn and to grow as a 19-year-old. And then with our scheduled meeting with this brand new professor of mine, as I was finishing up my college cafeteria mac and cheese surprise. I don't even want to remember. Steve did something that I did not expect or anticipate, and it was simple. He said these words I'll never forget, leaning across the table. Sean, what do you think about us meeting like this a couple times a month? (laughs) 
I was invited into a pilgrimage, into a journey with this man who had walked with Jesus longer than I had been alive. Who's your one? Identify and invite at least one person you would like to walk with. A parent, a leader, a kid, a coworker, an eight or nine-year-old boy or girl with the permission of the parents. For me, I've always challenged leaders, youth leaders and, and children's workers with this. Who is your one or three to five? Who are your three to five? Who have you identified and invited to walk with you? Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Genesis 3.8, they walked, they were used to walking in the cool of the garden with creator God. Micah 6.8, he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The Hebrew word halak often described this idea of dying, which translates to Jesus' teaching in the gospels to take up your cross and follow me. This is work. This is work. But even more importantly, it describes walking before the Lord or living a moral, ethical and religious life that pleases the father. The kings of Israel were declared righteous if they walked in creator God's ways. That is his decrees, his commands, his laws, his ordinances. In the scriptures, to walk with or follow a rabbi was an extreme honor. We see this in all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When Jesus calls them, they drop. They can't get out of the boat fast enough. Come follow me, Peter. What? You want me to follow you? Sons of Zebedee, look at their father. Dad says, go, go. It was an extreme honor. There was a saying during, uh, during Jesus' day and before, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. You wanted to be as close as possible to your master to learn from them, that inevitably you began to walk like them as well. And you could tell who a person was by how they walked, who they were following, simply by how they walked. Everyone had a distinct walk. Walking is a huge, walking with is a huge theme in the scriptures. And this means that your calendar and my calendar must reflect the virtue of apprentice and walk with. It must. We all walk with Jesus in community with one another. It is never individualistic or in isolation. Look to the scriptures. Our faith is communal as well as personal. So who's your one? Who are you calling? Hey, let's walk together. Let's walk together. The second step is the table. The table. Within Jewish history, the table was identity formation. Feasts and festivals were and continue to be the place where you celebrate, you come together and commune, you tell stories, you remember what creator God has done, who he is, who he says we are and what he promises for us in the future. How many of you would agree that we have a major identity crisis on our hands with the younger generations? They don't know who to believe. They are. It's if cultural movements are sifting sand. 
They're not being told truth. They're being told lies, falsehood. So they don't know where to turn. There's a major identity crisis. And the table is our powerful be with symbol. I had an opportunity to interview a, a, good, a good friend of mine. He is a rabbi. He is a Messianic Jew. He's a, a rabbi. And this is what he says about the table. My friend, Sean, I got to study in Israel with him as well. He's a fantastic man of God. He says, when you sit down to eat with someone, there is a vulnerability. We are showing each other a different side of us. There's an implicit trust. In post-resurrection Jesus, he says, Yeshua, it was through breaking bread and sitting at the table that the disciples truly knew and recognized who Jesus was. You can tell a lot about people, who, people and ourselves by how we handle ourselves at the table. When you're sitting there across someone and you have animosity, it's going to come out. If our kids, this is so powerful when he said this, if our kids' main association with the faith is us praying blessing over them and then having a delicious meal, and then playing a game together, our kids are probably going to grow up loving the Lord. Bring back the table. Whatever you do, bring back the table. Third, read or study the Bible. So choose your one, invite them to walk with you. and then sit together at the coffee table. This is a nice table, by the way. Thank you, guys. Fantastic little bistro table. I would expect nothing less from Pastor Chip Loop. I'll tell you. Quality of tables. Anyway, that's not in the message. Sit together at the lunch table, the game table. Our young adult group, they do game nights once or, two, once or twice uh, a quarter. And it's this huge, massive table. And there's games everywhere. And there's young adults everywhere. And they're eating pizza. And they're laughing together. And they get in these deep dive theological uh, discussions. And, and they pray. It's fantastic. The, the dinner table as well, we just spoke at it. Sit together. And then ask those who you've asked to walk with you where they would like to study. What confuses you about the Bible? Oh, really? That, me too. Let's study this together. And then do it. Go for it. The emerging generations are starving for men and women to walk through the Holy Scriptures with them. They want to know truth. They want to know. Last step. Organically prepare. I say organic. I'm super organic. So I have to like lean the other way a little bit in terms of making sure I'm organized. But have a direction, a loose direction of where you want to go with them. Have some type of plan. So I sat across the table from Steve Pulis. We put in the calendar the days that we would meet, once a month, once every other week, uh, uh, you know, once a week. We put those things down and then we gave some, and then he had some direction. There were some scriptures he, he had assigned for me to read. There was a book, there was, there was a devotional. There were some things that we were trying to pursue and we figured those things out. It wasn't all figured out the first two, three, four, 14 times we met. Remember, this is messy. Everything you do comes out of relationships. So have an idea of where you want to go and, and how often you want to meet and so on and so forth. And then, uh, and then let them 
drive the content and the conversation. Ask lots of questions. And this is not just for those who are in the older generations. If you're, if we just honored somebody at, uh, at youth convention. Uh, he's a senior in high school. He got saved as an eighth grader and started discipling somebody right away. If you're 12 or 14, yeah, go for it. Let's, this is for everyone. This is for everyone. So, so encourage scripture memorization. And I also encourage one ancient practice that you will do together, that you will participate in together. I would like to encourage you towards fasting. Walk through fasting with those you are apprenticing and discipling. This is a grievous moment in history. We need to fast and seek the face of our king that his rule and reign would be evident in this nation. Just a few months ago, there I sat across the table from my mentor, friend, and fellow pastor. And in the middle of our conversation, we went far too long. My wife was wondering where the heck I was. In the middle of our conversation, it hit me. We'd been walking together for 18 years. Never, never in my wildest of imagination could I have anticipated the journey we had been on together as a 19-year-old walking through snow avoiding ice to the calf. Back in that cafeteria to consider that I could meet a couple times a month. I like this guy. He's got a good smile. <laughs> I never could have anticipated. To this day, Steve and I have calendared a meeting once a month. He lives in Missouri. Many of you know Convoy of Hope. He's a director for, he's one of the directors for, for Convoy of Hope in an area outreach or something. And in fact, this last Thursday, as we are loading in for our Oregon Youth Convention, the first in two years, who's the person I call? Steve Pulis. There's some research coming out that gives a staggering reality check for the church in America. Hear my heart when I say this. This may come across harsh, but it's because I love you and I love this nation and I love the children and the younger generations of this nation. It is estimated by the Fuller Institute that over the next 10 years, upward of 10 million Christian young people will leave the Christian faith, let that sink in. A million a year over the next 10 years. And yet we want to argue over petty things. When I look at culture and I look at where we're at, the church should stand against, should stand against the division and the toxicity that we see. 
We want to argue about things in the end will not capture the hearts and the souls of the younger generation. They look and say, I'm out. This is what following Jesus is all about. Now, this isn't everybody. I'm being general. We are at a crossroads, brothers and sisters. My family. May it be said of us, during the marriage of time and space we have been called to, they made disciples. The harvest is rich. People are hungry. May it be said of us, not on our watch. They discipled well. This means, my friends, that changes must be made in church with our gatherings. Uncomfortable changes and things. I'm not saying we I'm not saying we deviate from the scriptures in the grand story and narrative that is more beautiful than any story that culture could ever tell. I'm not saying we do that. But things need to be shifted and changed. We need to be a little more comfortable with discomfort. How many of you know it ain't comfortable always inviting people to the dinner table? especially if they don't share the beliefs that you share. This means we need to be praying for our neighborhood neighborhood children, our grandkids, our nieces and nephews. We need, Grandma, Grandpa, call them out by name. I know many of you do. I know many that call their grandkids' names out loud and pray for them. Aunts, uncles, all of it. We need to pray for the children of our nation and our neighborhoods and our communities and our families. I challenge you three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. Bend a knee, if you can, to Creator God and cry out for our kids. I just heard a... uh, recent uh, story of a missionary in a Muslim context. And he tells the church, this, this audience, and he challenges the church in America, don't stop praying for visions and dreams. Muslim people are having them by the thousands. Keep praying. The power of our prayer, our communion, with Jesus. This is encouraging you all. This isn't doom and gloom. We're in the midst of an awesome, awesome opportunity. Let's not miss it. Let's not miss it. Who's your one? Who's your one? If you could, for just a moment, bow your head and close your eyes and those who are streaming and watching online, you could do the same. And man, if you've never given your life over to Jesus, to King Jesus, maybe you're checking things out. Maybe you strayed away. Maybe you've deviated from his his path. I just encourage you, there is no one like him. 
He is the one who is near the brokenhearted. He's not just a truth. He claims to be the truth embodied, hope embodied, incarnate, in flesh, joy, peace. In the flesh, he was a figurehead. He was a historical figure. We know he walked this planet and he claimed to be God in flesh. There's no other religion built off of anything like that other than Christianity. Step into relationship with them. You won't have it all figured out. It's a journey. It's a pilgrimage. And if that's you, just say a simple prayer. Say, you know what? I want to do that. I want to step in relationship with Jesus. Take my life. Simple prayer. Forgive me of my sin, which is missing the mark. Missing that standard that creator God set before the foundations of the earth were formed. Our origin story, Genesis 1, 3, 1 through 3 and 5. Lead my life. Be my author. Write me a brand new story, Jesus. And his spirit will fill you. Pray, fill me, spirit, Holy Spirit. Lead me. And he will do that. For the rest of us, Jesus, may it be said of Portland Christian Center, they discipled well. It wouldn't be just this building, but it would be the homes of men and women who call this church their church would be filled with disciples, hungry, hungry in the midst of all the chaos, all the toxicity of our culture. You are king. You are in control. May it be said of this body of believers that they love people. And whatever they got, I want. Shine your face down upon them that they may go and shine in their neighborhoods and communities. And in Jesus' powerful name, we pray this blessing. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you guys. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together this morning. I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit as I listen to Dr. Sean share with us today that uh, every one of us have received something from the Lord today and been stirred and someone has come to your mind. How many of you will lift your hand and say, I will pray for the next generation. I'm going to start making that a normal thing. How many will say, I'll pray for my children and grandchildren by name? By name, I'll not just say, Lord, bless them. I'm going to call out and pray. They're making decisions. They're going uh, to uh, make choices in life. And how many of you will pray that there will be hundreds of students that will make this their church home, that this building will be filled with students, a younger generation that comes? This leads us right into the new normal. So we're going to pick up this story, and we're going to uh, see what God says to us. Father, we thank you again for this morning and for what you're going to do at PCC. Pray for our leaders. We pray for this younger generation. Bring them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. May we uh, reach out in our neighborhoods 
And Lord, may the Lord bless us and keep us today. And when we walk through these doors, may we know we don't go by ourselves. You go with us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? That everybody said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.